Thank you, children, for your wonderful words of praise. Jesus, he is always the same. He is the one we can hope and rest in every single day. So thank you, children. Thank you to Joel and Anna for their hard work in putting that together and getting them all on the same page. This is a first. If you didn't notice, they sang in harmony. It's first for children's choir, at least in a long time, and that's exciting. A lot of work and effort went into that. I want to thank the ladies, too, for the wonderful song, and you may have noticed that one key person of that group was missing today, uh, Miss Foltz, who is really the leader of that group. She's not able to be with us here today, and so we want to, I'd like to take a moment here to pray for her. She hurt her leg this week and just having a lot of trouble moving around, and so we want to just uplift her here before we get started into our sermon. So would you join me in prayer? Our great and good God, we thank you for music. We thank you that you are the creator of music, and we thank you that we can use it to praise your name, to sing of your praises, to lift you up and exalt you as our great God. Lord, we thank you for the many people who spend so much time investing into skillfully presenting music for your glory. Lord, we especially think now of Miss Foltz and her many years of leadership in the ladies' ensemble. Lord, we pray that you will be with her just now. We pray that you will bring healing in her body and give her the strength that she needs. Restore her again to us. We pray this in your name. Lord, we also now seek you and ask that you would instruct us from your word. Lord, I pray that we would know the truth. Lord, I pray that as we come to this, the most important statement of faith doctrine that we would understand I pray especially, Lord, for those here today who have not been saved, who have not received your salvation. I pray that your gospel might go forth this day. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in individual hearts. And Lord, we pray that you will draw those who do not know you to yourself and that today they would believe on you and receive your glorious and wonderful salvation. We seek you now. I give myself, my mind, my tongue to you. Pray that you would speak through me in this time and glorify your word and may it have free course, we pray in your name. Amen. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. As we continue down through our series, We Believe, a study of our church's doctrinal statement, we have studied the Bible, God's holy word. In the Bible, God has revealed himself. God has given to us vitally important information we need to know about ourselves, particularly our condition as sinners. So in our statement of faith, we have a statement regarding the Bible, a statement regarding God, and a statement regarding the fall of man and all mankind of sinners. And we have looked at those, and those are vitally important as a foundation base as today we come to our next point in our statement of faith, the salvation of man, the salvation of man. Our statement reads this, we believe that man is helpless to save himself. 
and that salvation is a gift of God received solely by faith in the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore our sins in his own sinless body on the cross, thus exchanging places with the believer. Our statement of faith lists three references, and again has been true with all of our statements. They just touch the surface of the doctrine. But those references, if you'd like to write them down or you have them there in the statement of faith, your copy, is 1 Peter 2.24, Romans 6.23, and Ephesians 2.8-10. Again, these are just, you might say, the core basis of the statement of faith. In some respects, all of the New Testament, and even, in fact, the entirety of God's Word, expands and builds upon the vital truths of the gospel concisely stated in these three specific selections. Look with me at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope that verse is very familiar to you. In our family Bible time, we have that as a verse that is reviewed every single year in Bible memory because it is so important. But I hope that as it is familiar to you, you have not lost the incredible reality, truth, significance, glory of that verse. It is, in some ways, a concise statement of man's problem and the solution of it. The wages of sin is death. If we look back a few pages in Romans 3.23, we find out, for all have sinned. As we've learned in the last two weeks, as we looked at the fall of man, we have learned that we as men have inherited the sinful nature, the sin curse passed down from Adam. And individually and personally, we all, by both nature and actions, are sinners. For all have sinned. Um, I told you when I gave my introduction to the fall of man two weeks ago that it was the most unpleasant part of our entire doctrinal statement. And then some of my kids came to me and says, I did not like either of those sermons you preached on sin. And you know what? Amen. I didn't like them either. But they're important. In fact, actually, we're not going to spend a lot of time on sin here today because we already spent two weeks on it, but we have to spend a little bit of time reminding you of it. Because when we understand sin and its true awfulness, it is only then when we can understand the gospel, the good news. The good news becomes more precious, becomes ever so greater when we understand the bad news. That's why it's good news. Look with me here at our key verse, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Wages, what's that? Some of you might not know what that is, especially children. You don't get wages. Most of the time, we don't use the word wages, except when it comes to taxes. What are wages? 
Wages is when you do a job and you get paid for it. I wonder, how many of you have ever, ever done a job that you expected to get paid for and you never got paid for it? Some of you. You know what? Sin always pays. That's one thing you can count on. It's dependable. Sin always will pay the wages. And what are the wages? When you do sin, what's the payment for sin? What is it according to this verse? For the wages of sin is death. As we learned from Romans chapter 5, that by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Adam would have lived forever. God created us to live forever. We think 92 years old or 100 years old is just unbelievably old. No, it's as if you were an infant in the original design of how God created man. No, God created us to live forever, but sin is the curse that brought death. When we think of death, oftentimes, you know, especially uh, it seems this time of year, there's an obsession with death. Well, we think of it as really in a small way of what it really is. The word death, the concept of death, is, is specifically that of separation. It's, when we think of physical death, it's when your spirit is separated from your body. There's death of relationship when there is separation. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a death of a relationship, and then their bodies began to die to where there was a physical death of the separation of soul and spirit, or of not of separate soul and spirit, but of the body and the spirit. But there is another death spoken of in the Bible. Way back in the last chapter of the Bible, it speaks of something called the second death. It speaks of a judgment. This death in Romans 6.23 is not just physical death. It is the death of a relationship each one of us have with our God. It is physical death, and it is eternal death in judgment, the judgment that is described as the lake of fire. The lake of fire is said to be the second death. And you might think, oh, no, I'll be okay. Hebrews tells us that it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. There is a judgment for sin. Sin always pays. Always. So you might say, wait a minute. What hope do I have then? Well, there is where the good news is. There is where the good news is, is because these wages were paid by someone else. And instead of wages, there is a gift. Do you see the contrast of the words here in this verse? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are wages you get for working. And what do you have to do to get a gift? Well, nothing. You simply receive it. It's yours. There's no work. There's no good works. There's no penance. There's not even a prayer. It is simply 
receiving it by faith. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We see here death, death, we've learned. It is a death of a relationship. It is physical death, and it is eternal death in judgment. But what is this life? Well, let's start at the last part. It is eternal life. It is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, he lives inside of you. So, what one side is the wages of sin of eternal death and judgment in the lake of fire is eternal life in heaven with God. The death of a relationship is reconciled, and the life is Christ in you and I, the hope of glory. You might say, what about the physical death? Hmm. Well, there's a sense in which that still continues. But it is amazing at how the Scripture changes the term and changes how it is spoken of when it deals with one who has received this gift. It refers to it with terms like sleep or the death of his saints is precious in his sight or for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You see, when there is everlasting life, that physical death, the valley of the shadow of death is not something to be feared, for the good shepherd is right there with us through it, who will guide us right into the glories of heaven, where we will find the streets of gold, where we will find there the tree of life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This morning, do you have life, or are you waiting for your wages? This verse has so many pieces to it. We learn about the wages of sin. We learn about the gift of God. But how is this gift of God received? Look at the last phrase. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. This gift is absolutely, 100%, totally, completely free to each and every one of us. But let me tell you, the value of this gift is priceless. It's priceless. And the amount paid for this gift to be given to you is priceless. Which causes us to turn to our other key passage. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? Where we learn more about what this means through Jesus Christ our Lord. As we learned in our statement of faith, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Jesus Christ always has been. He is the, called the Word. He is eternal. He always has been and He always will be. But at one point in history, Jesus Christ came to earth and He became one of us. He became a man. He did not cease to be God, for He continued to be God and He continues to be God but he became flesh. He became man, 
like you and I. And he did that for a very particular purpose. And that was so that he could bear our sins. So that my sin, all the heinous ugliness of my filthy, evil sin, he took upon himself. And that's true for every one of you in this room and every human being ever to live in the past or in the future. He bore the sins of the whole world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, speaking of Jesus, spoke of him who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, the cross. You see, Jesus was an exception to the entirety of the human race, born of a virgin, he was born without the sin nature. He was born not under the curse, nor did he ever, nor was he ever a sinner. He never committed a single sin. That's hard for us to fathom and to comprehend, especially as we learned about the fall of man. It wasn't very pleasant, some of the things we learned about ourselves, was it? None of that was true of Jesus. He was perfect and sinless, even from an infant child. Amazing. Now, I said that he wasn't born under the curse. He wasn't born under the curse of the sin nature, but he was born into a sin-cursed world. And he experienced the consequences of this sin-cursed world in his life over and over. And he had all like temptations as we, like infirmities as us, all the same struggles and problems that you and I have in this sin-cursed world. But his response to every one of those was in sinless perfection. So oftentimes, it seems that the sin-cursed world provokes us to do more sinning. Not so with Jesus. And every time that the sin-cursed world prodded him and tempted him and troubled him, he did not respond in anger. He did not respond in bitterness. He did not respond in unbelief. He responded without sin. He was perfect and sinless. The Scriptures declare him to be without sin, one who knew no sin, but the sinless one in his own self, he bare our sins. He was made sin for us is another way of putting it. He took my sins and your sins upon himself. He took the punishment for sin. He died on that tree, on that cross, as a sacrifice for you and for me. He is the propitiation, a big word that means the sacrifice of Jesus that removes the wrath of God. You see, because we are sinners, the wrath of God is upon us, the judgment of God is upon us. In fact, we're said to be children of wrath, and we deserve to inherit judgment in the lake of fire. But Jesus' sacrifice on that cross satisfied all justice needed and demanded. It paid for everything. He, as God, infinitely was able to pay for every sin ever committed from the very first in the unbelief of Adam to the very last whenever that shall be. He paid for it all. He bore it there in his own body on 
the tree. An evidence of his sinlessness is right there in the verse before in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. For there it declares, actually if we look in verse 22, it says that he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled as means that he was, he was cursed or very harshly, cruelly spoken to. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously to his heavenly Father. And it was in that, in his sinlessness, he bore our sins on the tree. So do you see it here now? That being dead to sin, we should live unto righteousness by whose stripes, Jesus' stripes, ye were healed. We are dead to sins. We live in sin. We're dead in sin. But here we can have life in righteousness. It's not our righteousness. We find out in the Isaiah that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Mm. Who wants to put on filthy rags? Go scrub the toilet and then get dressed in that clothes. Uh-uh. That's just not even, I mean, that's, that's a horrific picture in your mind, right? Uh, that's not even gross enough. Our, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Our righteousnesses are as the leaves that fade. You know, see these trees? They come with gorgeous, beautiful leaves. They even turn beautiful colors. And they fall, and what happens? They just turn into dirt. I mean, you can hardly hardly even preserve them for, for a few seasons. That's what our righteousnesses are like. But when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he clothes us in his perfect righteousness, and we can live the remainder of this life in his righteousness. We who are sick and dead to sin can be healed. Do you see how we're healed, though? We're not healed by keeping the law. We're not healed by religious ceremony. We're not healed by religious discipline. We're not healed by some grandiose standard of character. We are healed by his stripes. The stripes put on Jesus is what heals us. His stripes heals us, which is absolutely incredible to think about it. The whipping of the stripes. I mean, when, we, we, when you read and understand the history of what the Romans did and what all he looked like and experienced in that horror, really, in some ways you could say, um, the crucifixion didn't kill him. Ultimately, we know just theologically that he himself laid his life down. But if he himself hadn't laid his life down, he probably would have died from the stripes, not necessarily the crucifixion. He laid his life down. But in his stripes, the very opposite of healing. How, I mean, think about it. When you go for healing and you go to the doctor, does he flog you? No. That's kind of the parallel contrast. That gift of healing cost the stripes of Jesus. The death of Jesus, the torture of Jesus brought about our healing. So this morning, do you believe that you are a sinner? Do you believe that as a sinner, you deserve the lake of fire? 
Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And have you been healed? We believe that man is helpless to save himself and that salvation is a gift of God received solely by faith in the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore our sins in his own sinless body on the cross, thus exchanging places with the believer. Every one of us deserves to hang on a cross. Every one of us deserves those stripes, those wounds. But Jesus took our place he bore them for our sins. And so, all of this has happened. We have all of this background and reality of our condition. We have all of this glorious history and reality of what Jesus has done. What makes it personal? In our statement of faith, we declare that salvation is a gift of God received solely by faith. We saw in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see here in 1 Peter 2.24 that Jesus Christ our Lord who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. How do you get healed? How do you receive this gift? Turn with me to the last key passage listed in our statement of faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The entire book of Ephesians is incredible and exciting and filled with glorious truth of what God has done for us and all that we can receive in Christ. These key verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, sum up and declare the theological, you might say, truth that ties this all together. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, let me just read it. Follow with me. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Glorious truth. We could spend a few sermons breaking this down and talking through all the glorious detail and truth found in these verses. But in summary, I'd like to look at how this salvation is received and what it is not bought by. We're weird people when it comes to gifts, as Americans, I think. 
Um, we have what we call gift exchanges. You, you ever heard of those? Gift exchanges, where it's almost kind of like, is this really a gift? You know? It's a gift that's depending upon someone else giving a gift to me, and our view of gifts is a little warped. Even birthday gifts, it's I give gifts because I anticipate gifts on my birthday sometimes. And it's a flawed process. The gift talking about here is not like that. This is not a gift that is expecting a gift in return. This is not a gift that is expecting a certain um, way or thing for you to do. This is a gift that is absolutely, completely free. It's priceless. It's of incredible value, but it is free. How is it received? How is salvation, the gift of God, received? Verse 8 says, for by grace. Now, there's a big theological word, right? You say it's not very big. It's just G-R-A-C-E. Yeah, just five letters. But wow. You want me to show you how incredible that word is and the concept of grace? Just look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, he, that is God, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 8, we're going to learn about salvation being a part of this grace. But if you look at verse 7, verse 7 describes to us that the grace of God will be shown to us through Jesus Christ our Lord in the ages to come. Notice it says riches of His grace. For all eternity, those of us who have received the salvation of God, the life of Jesus Christ, will live in eternity. And every day, we will be experiencing a new aspect of God's grace. The idea of grace in its roots, base part, really is related to the word gift. It is a gift. It is the gift of God given to us. Salvation is part of it. Loving kindness is part of it. Favor is part of it. Strength is part of it. God's grace is limitless. We can't even begin to fathom the glories and the riches of His grace. Our salvation is by His grace, God's grace. His grace purchased this gift through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we could receive it free. And how do we receive it? Through faith. What is faith? Faith is simply believing God. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. He's done everything. Believe it. Believe it. Receive it. Does God, in His declared truth and in His offer, 
presented to you, will you receive it? This is a hang-up for many people because we're so used to gifts being reciprocal or some way having to pay for it. Or, you know, we use the phrase strings attached. <laughs> the Holy Spirit anticipates that through the Apostle Paul here writing in Ephesians chapter 2 as he makes it crystal clear going on, not of works, verse 9, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. What's boast? Brag. Declare your goodness, your greatness, your righteousness, what you did. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with me. Jesus did it all. His offer is presented to us free. We simply receive it through faith, believing in God. His gift of salvation comes. There's no works. It is the gift of God. Salvation is God's gift, and we receive it through faith. Verse 10 is important because when we receive salvation, we are mm, a new creature. We're going to learn more of this as we continue in our statement of faith, so I won't spend a lot of time in it. But verse 10 tells us that we are his workmanship. He recreates us, so to speak, as a new creature. We're created in Christ Jesus. We are united with him. Christ and I are one. We are members of his body. We are one with Christ. That's why we have passed from death unto life, because he is life, and we become a part of him. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus and you know what? When Jesus is living inside of you, he does good work. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Jesus Christ, we become united with, and we walk with him. So salvation is not just this idea or concept of something that is future to save us. Some people joke of it being fire insurance. Salvation is not fire insurance from the lake of fire. Salvation is life. And it begins at the moment that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The declaration is given to the question, what must I do to be saved? What was the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We believe in him and salvation comes only through him. Can I get personal? This is the core of Christian doctrine. But sometimes we do not value it as lightly as we ought to. We forget. That's the reason why we have communion. We're going to observe communion next Sunday afternoon. Is to remind us of the glory of what Jesus has done for our 
salvation. This morning, I'd like you to consider the gospel. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Answer the question in your mind. Do you believe that Jesus died? But not just died, died for your sins. Put your name in there. Jesus died for my sins. And have you received him by faith? These are life-changing questions. And I pray that the answer to each one of them for you is yes. And if you do not believe, I plead with you to come to your God and reason together. For the scriptures say, though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. Jesus has done everything to wash your sins away. There's lots of objections to the gospel. Some people reject and object to the idea that they are sinners. I've not done anything wrong, especially when we understand sin and its true real definition as a lawbreaker, breaking the law of God. Sin is the transgression of the law of God. Many object to that. I'm not a sinner. Many object to the declaration of the judgment for sin, the punishment for sin. Oh, that can't be true. God wouldn't do that if there is a God. And then others object to the fact that, you know, opposite of the one who says he has no sin, says he's too bad to be saved. Then too many wrong things. No. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. All of your sins can be forgiven. And then others may not object, but they may accept all of these truths, but then they add to it. And they believe that they must believe in Jesus, but then they also believe that they must do good. And that's mixing up the gospel. It's not of works. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. These are all things that really, it all comes back to faith in believing what God has said. The answer to all of these objections is to know and to consider what God has said and to simply believe him. Notice I use the pronoun him, not it. Truth is sometimes an it, but Jesus is a him, and he is the truth. We believe him. He is the through which we have all, our salvation and our life. Believe him, the way, the truth, and the life. But I encourage you. Some of you may have objections and questions. Don't let me stand here 
and casually dismissing objections cause you to sit back and say, but what, I guess I can't ask my question. Please ask your question. I seek to answer it as best I can. I seek to be able to answer it from the scriptures. Even these objections I've raised, I haven't really adequately answered them, I acknowledge. Perhaps these questions you struggle with and are not satisfied with my simplistic answer because I haven't really answered them except to tell you that the basic conclusion. God has revealed much in, her word, in his word. Do not be afraid to ask. Christians all around you can answer your questions. Ultimately, though, it's going to be the work of God in your own hearts. It's ultimately God in your own hearts. The Holy Spirit of God working in your heart, reproving you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one to whom you must yield. He's the one who will be the testifier of truth in your life. He uses his word. He uses his people. But ultimately, it's between you and your God. And I beseech you today to know him. Gracious God, we bow in prayer to you now, thankful for this gift. Thankful for your salvation. I pray that each one here has received this gift. And those who have not, that you would work in their hearts, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would convict them, that you would show them their desperate need for you. For you have paid it all, you have done it all, and we simply but receive it through faith, believing in you and your word. Move now among us, great God, I pray. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, may I ask a few questions? And could I ask that you raise your hand in response? This morning, would you confess, that is, agree with God, that you are a sinner? Would you raise your hand if you agree with God that you are a sinner? Would you agree with God today that your sin deserves to be punished in the lake of fire? Would you raise your hand if you confess and agree with God in that regard? Thank you. Would you this morning confess that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know that he alone has saved you? Would you raise your hand if you confess that today? So wonderful. Praise God. Now another question. Listen carefully. If you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you have questions or just struggles, and you'd like me to pray for you, would you just raise your hand so that I could see? Thank you. Gracious God, I pray for these who have lifted their hands, who 
we're not sure. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would do a work, that you would reveal yourself in each heart. Lord, help me to know how I may follow up. May you move within your people here to always be testifying and declaring your glorious gospel. And Lord Jesus, I pray that for each one here who has not been saved, who has not received your salvation, that today they would believe that today they would receive your life, your salvation, that today they would have hope in you. Lord Jesus, we all need you every hour, and we commit ourselves now to you in your precious name. Amen.